Happy Sunday. We've got four stories from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the hidden differences between American and British English, why you shouldn't rinse your dishes before putting them in the dishwasher, why you should never try to make the dessert called Swedish Lemon Angels, and how crime shows might influence real criminal trials. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Have you ever heard of Haggis, Neeps, and Tatties? I've heard of haggis. I have no idea what those last two are. You don't know what neeps and tatties are? No. Neeps are turnips. Okay. And tatties are potatoes. That's adorable. And in Scotland, haggis is often served with haggis, neeps, and tatties. Haggis, neeps, and tatties. Yes. Love it. I love haggis. You can only get it in Scotland. Like, I mean, there's like canned haggis, I guess you could get it. Exactly. It's really bad. You've never had haggis? I never have, but now suddenly I want it. I'm bringing this up because today we're going to talk about the hidden differences between American and British English and why they really matter. We didn't write about neeps and tatties today, but we do write about a lot of research that comes from a book called The Prodigal Tongue, The Love-Hate Relationship Between American and British English by Lynn Murphy. And Murphy is an American linguist who has been living in England for more than 20 years and has been tracking the differences between American and British English on her blog, which is called Separated by a Common Language. We'll link to the book and the blog in the show notes. But why do little differences in language even matter? Like, what's the point of talking about this? Well, it's because they could mean that in a conversation, both parties think they understand each other perfectly well when they are, in fact, operating according to totally different hidden assumptions in meaning. So, for instance, when Murphy first started living in the UK, people used to tell her that she spoke with an American twang. And twang has kind of an offensive connotation in the U.S., but in British English, it can just mean a trace of an accent without saying anything about the specific quality of that accent. Quite is also a quite big one. This one surprised me. Really? Yeah. But in American English, quite means very. But in British English, quite means moderately. So saying someone is quite pretty is not quite so complimentary in England. And the list goes on. You can read more today on curiosity.com. But the takeaway is that if you think you're an expert just because you know that fish and chips in England means fish and french fries in America, then you should probably think again. The rabbit hole goes a lot deeper and can tell us a lot about our assumptions and stereotypes on both sides of the pond. Cody, do you watch any crime shows? Do you? I don't. I used to love Law & Order. I watched it every day. Really? Yeah, during college. Why? I don't know. It's just uh, ding, ding. Like, it's just comforting. (laughs) (laughs) Do you listen to true crime podcasts? No, I'm not really a true crime person. Okay. It was just really law and order. SVU. That was my that was my jam. All right. But today we're going to learn about a little psychological effect that might happen from crime shows. And they call it the CSI effect. It may mean something for courtrooms everywhere. Basically, the CSI effect says that because of crime shows, some jurors have an unrealistic idea of what forensic science can do. The term first popped up in an article in USA Today in 2004, which was talking about some possible influences in the courtroom. Some of those effects were positive, like how talking about science in the courtroom used to be super boring for jurors. But once those shows became more popular, some jurors were a lot more open to listening to stuff about science. So that's good. But there might also be drawbacks, like juries asking for DNA evidence when they don't really need it. Some courts started to worry about this so much that they started asking potential jurors about their TV watching habits. Wow. Yeah. But don't panic. It turns out that the CSI effect isn't as bad as people originally thought. 
Studies over the past decade have looked at CSI effects from a scientific point of view. And if anything, they found evidence that this gives the prosecution an advantage, not a disadvantage. The real problem is in how much jurors trust the actual science. In 2009, the National Academy of Sciences took a close look at forensic techniques in its report, Strengthening Forensic Science in the United States, A Path Forward. They found that a lot of techniques are less effective in real life than they are on TV. Go figure, right? Arson evidence, bloodstain and bite mark analysis, fiber evidence, they're all far from perfect. And even fingerprint and DNA evidence can be flawed, although they're getting better all the time. You can read the details today on Curiosity.com and on the Curiosity app for Android and iOS. And if you want to read a lot more on how forensics can fail, check out Inside the Cell, The Dark Side of Forensic DNA by Aaron E. Murphy. We'll put a link in the show notes. Ashley, what's your favorite dessert? I really like lemon bars. Me too. Nice. Yeah. Lemon's good. Yeah. Would you eat a dessert called a Swedish lemon angel? It sounds delicious. Well, today we wrote about this dessert, quote unquote, because nobody has ever successfully followed the recipe. Ooh. Yeah. See if you can figure out why. Here are the first few steps of the baking directions. In a small bowl or measuring cup, beat an egg until it's foamy. Add buttermilk and vanilla and blend well. Add baking soda, one teaspoonful at a time, sprinkling it in and beating until the mixture is smooth and the consistency of light cream. Add the lemon juice all at once and blend into the mixture. Stir, do not beat. Okay, what's wrong? I think it's the fact that you're adding lemon juice to baking soda. Correct! If you try to follow this recipe, your kitchen will be beyond repair once you add the lemon juice. And it's simple science. Lemon juice is an acid. Baking soda is a base. When you put them together, you get a fizzy, foamy explosion. It's a classic acid-base reaction that results in the release of carbon dioxide gas, which quickly bubbles out of your mixing bowl. So why was this recipe invented in the first place? Well, it comes from the book Penn & Teller's How to Play With Your Food. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. If this is your style of humor, then you can find a link in the show notes to pick it up. Also, fun fact, Teller of Penn & Teller has been adapting works of Shakespeare with American playwright and theater director Aaron Posner. And I actually saw Macbeth at Chicago Shakespeare Theater last week, and I saw the 2015 production of The Tempest. Wow. Yeah. No, Teller's a genius. Have you heard his This American Life interview? No. He's amazing. Yeah. No, and the theater productions are amazing because they... Of course, they incorporate magic into Shakespeare. That's so cool. It's really, really interesting. So if you're ever visiting Chicago or you want to look into Teller's Shakespeare, then uh, I highly recommend checking that out online. All right, Cody, are you a fastidious dishwasher loader? Like, do you have weird habits? I have a a system. I have a system. What's your system? It's start loading in the back. All right. Always put all the glasses and everything between the prongs, not over the prongs. Put some bowls on the top. Good, good. I, yeah, I try to I try to pack as much as I can in there. Wow, you and I are very similar in our dishwashing habits. <laughs> but do you rinse them first? Yes, it depends. It depends on how much is on them. Sure. Well, I've been rinsing them a lot less since I wrote this article. Oh. Because today we're talking about why you should not rinse your dishes before putting them in the dishwasher. You've got my attention. Here's why. Modern dishwashers have a sensor that measures the amount of food debris floating around at the start of the cycle, and it adjusts as necessary. So if most of your dishes have been rinsed, guess what happens to all that cheese caked onto that one baking dish you didn't scrub? It won't trigger the sensor, which means your dishwasher will run a shorter, lighter wash cycle, regardless of which setting you choose. Yeah. You might think, oh, well, my dishwasher isn't a modern dishwasher. It's years old. 
Well, when we say modern dishwashers, we actually mean most dishwashers purchased in the last five years for more than $500. But lots of dishwasher detergent manufacturers give the same warning. Procter & Gamble, the maker of Cascade detergent, says that enzymes in their detergent are designed to attach themselves to food particles. And with no food particles, the enzymes have nothing to attach to. Uh. And of course, there are other benefits to not pre-washing. You'll save time and you'll save water. You could waste more than 10 gallons of water in just five minutes of rinsing dishes. Of course, we're not saying put an entire plate of food in your dishwasher. <laughs> Huge food particles are still not good for your dishwasher. So maybe scrape off the big stuff before you put anything in the dishwasher. Scrape, don't rinse, right? Right. And remember to clean your dishwasher's filter so you don't cause a clog. That's important, too. We have a ton of other tips today on Curiosity.com, so check out the full write-up for more info. But here are a few guidelines about how to actually load your dishwasher. Glasses go between the prongs, not over the prongs, so good, Cody. Yes. On the top rack. And utensils will get clean whether they're handle side up or down, but know that General Electric recommends handles up for safety. So that's it for this Sunday edition of the Curiosity Daily. We want to know what you think, and we want you to email us to let us know at podcastcuriosity.com. We've said before we were going to answer some questions, but we haven't gotten any questions yet. So now is your chance to tell us what you're curious about. Let us know and Ashley might answer your question on a future episode because we want to get some trivia on these Sunday. We do. I love answering your questions. Yeah. And if not, maybe we'll just play some games. I don't know. Look, we're still trying new stuff. Like this is your chance to help shape the podcast. What do you want to hear? What's fun? What's your favorite thing that we do? We can't read your mind. We're playing it fast and loose here. We sure Anything are. can happen. <laughs> Join us again tomorrow for the Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ah!